Uh, this is Paul Schneiderman back in the 126th edition of the Sports Untold podcast, also on Radio Rabbit Radio. And I have a special guest today, Jeff Raisley. Jeff is an author, poet, traveler, retired Indianapolis attorney, philanthropist. Jeff has been involved in just about everything imaginable. Um, Jeff, I'll get back to you in a minute or two. I last had Jeff on as a guest back in, I think it was November, October of 2018. So it's great to have you back a second time. And my show has been on a hiatus basically since last October. Um, won't get into everything that occurred, but happy to have it back up and happy to have Jeff on as the first guest of 2023. So it's a we can call this a historical edition of the Sports Untold uh, podcast. Um, I want to introduce my new assistant and producer, Olivia Coyne. Uh, I go back to Olivia and her family uh, for many, many years, basically since I was in kindergarten. I've known her, her, her brother, or I'm sorry, her father, Ben. And I also know her uncle and her grandparents and her mom, Stephanie. And Olivia is a student at the University of Washington, and she's kindly agreed to help me with my podcast. We're hoping that Olivia can be a sidekick at times. So I want to introduce Olivia here. She's going to do a great job, and um, it's fun to work with an enthusiastic young person. Um, my podcast is now on Spotify, YouTube, Amazon, Google, iTunes, Podbean. You can go to sportsuntoldpodcast.net. Uh, I'm working on getting the .com back up. There's a story on that too, but we'll, I won't focus on too much of that stuff today. Um, I encourage my listeners to click the like button regarding my show, comment, and go to sportsuntoldpodcast.net. Check out my show and some of the other editions are also on YouTube, YouTube and some other outlets. Um, been very honored to have many wonderful guests, uh, Jeff included. Jeff, I promised I would get back to you. Um, as I mentioned, you're a retired attorney. You're an author of 14 books. You played football at the University of Chicago, president of the Besa Village Foundation, which funds culturally sensitive development. Uh, Jeff's been involved in various nonprofits. Um, he's a father, husband, grandfather. Um, as I mentioned, I first met Jeff back in 2018, and uh, a lot has happened in the world since then, for sure. Um, in my last interview with Jeff, it was it was then called Sports, uh, Sports and Stuff. But it's Sports Untold, uh, number 34. We talked about a couple of Jeff's sports books, including Monsters of the Midway, 1969, Sex, Drugs, Rock and Roll, Vietnam, and Football. Jeff also wrote a really good 2016 book, Hero's Journey, John Ritter, The Chip Hilton of Goshen, Indiana Memoir. So I've read two of Jeff's books. haven't read them all, but I look forward to reading more of them. And uh, Jeff, I appreciate you coming back on the 126th edition of the Sports Untold podcast, also on Rainier Avenue Radio. Thank you, Paul. Um, I, at, at my age, I feel like a, a historical artifact. So since this is a historical event, um, I think I fit right in. Well, I certainly don't want to put my uh, my podcast in any, as any kind of major historical um, artifact, but I, I appreciate that. It is really good to have you on and and uh, to have you back as I'm trying to get this uh, podcast renewed right now. Jeff, um, you've written 14 books, as I mentioned in the introduction, and I want you to share with us a little bit about your new one. Well, thanks. Uh, the latest book is called 72 Wisdoms, and what I did with this book, which is really unlike any of the other books I've written, is I took 72 quotes, which each one of which I think contains a nugget of wisdom, and they're ordered to create a sort of journey through what I think are uh, the greatest questions that every thinking sensitive person should ask and try to answer in the course of life. So it it uh it has quotes uh and then uh, so i take each quote um do a little uh, uh biographical research into who said it or wrote it uh what was the context and then um what do i think this quote really means and then research how it's been used by other people and try to sort of um riff on uh looking to find an even deeper meaning uh, if possible. And so it uh, asks and tries to answer um, questions starting with uh, you know, birth, um, 
what do you do uh, when you have a child born uh, up through how do you face your own death and everything in between. How did you find these 72, I guess, sections of wisdom? Were these ones that you created or did you find them from other sources? Yeah, there's actually um, three quotes from myself from books I've written. But other than that, they're all from other sources. And it was really interesting because the way this book developed was I, I noticed that I was just sort of randomly coming across little pearls of wisdom th that I wanted to save and to try to hang on to and, and not just let, you know, slip away. Uh, so I started keeping a, a list of quotes that I thought were kind of interesting. And then uh, after I had, you know, five or six of these, I wanted to look deeper into you know, what was the context of the quote? And then I just wanted to think more deeply about what, uh, you know, what meaning I could extract beyond sort of the obvious or the conventional wisdom that was expressed. And after I had about, you know, five, six, seven of these, I thought, well, you know, I want to keep doing this. And I could turn this into a book. And I had no idea where it would end. So I just started, you know, taking uh, the quotes that I have, researching, writing uh, kind of an essay about each one. And then after that, I would just run into quotes that just seemed to be like, this should be the next one. And I did end up doing some reordering, but but really not very much. It just seemed as if there was this sort of uh, magic at work that every week I would find, you know, a new one uh, that I wanted to use. And so that's how it developed eventually into a book. Are some of these quotes from famous people in history? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there are quotes from ancient Greek philosophers, uh, Lao Tzu, um, and then... Uh, also from sort of pop culture figures, uh, Muhammad Ali has one, um, Betty White has one. <laughs> and, and so it, uh, you know, they really sort of uh, span a spectrum of uh, philosophical, there's a couple out of the Bible um, and uh, from the Bhagavad Gita. So there's, you know, wisdom literature incorporated, but also um, popular culture. Why don't you share for the listeners uh, how they can buy that book and, and maybe also purchase some of the other books? Did you have a website? Why don't you just give, give, go ahead, make this an infomercial for a minute. Okay. <laughs> uh, always happy to do that. <laughs> and my publicist appreciates it. Um, so I have a website. It's my full name, Jeffrey, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y, Raisley, R-A-S-L-E-Y.com. And I also have an author page on Amazon. So if you go to Amazon and just input my name, uh, the author page will come up with all 14 books. And they're also on my website with a lot of other information about like the Bossa Village Foundation, the Scientech Foundation, which I'm also the president of, trekking in the Nepal Himalayas, etc. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, I was just thinking with all with high school and college graduations going on right now, your book on 72 themes of wisdom could be a very good book for a lot of young people right now. So I, I think you've given me a couple uh, gift ideas right now. So. Well, I, I had kind of a fun experience on Sunday, uh, just uh, you know, two days ago. I attend a, a Quaker meeting here in Indianapolis, and uh, the pastor had asked me if I would be the guest preacher last Sunday. And even though he was there, so he'd been out of town most of the week at a retreat. And so he said he didn't have time to prepare a sermon. Would I do it for him? I said, sure, happy to do that. And uh, as he introduced me, he said that he had my book, 72 Wisdoms, on the nightstand by his bed. And he had already been through it once, reading one uh, chapter, one wisdom each day or night, and was now on his second read-through. And that, well, you know, Pastor Bob, I think I owe you a share of the royalties now. Love it. That's <laughs> so, awesome. So maybe you too, Paul. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. My pleasure. Well, Jeff, I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, and I know when people get this question about their their works, they don't always know how to answer it, but I'm still going to answer ask the question anyway. What is your favorite of the 14 books you've written? Um, yeah, I've had that question asked, and I have a standard answer, which is it's always the last one. Um, okay. I, I mean, each book I wrote, I wrote it because I wanted to. I've, I've never... Uh, I mean, actually, my first book, I was under a publication uh, literary contract deadline, but I've never written a book because I needed the money or I felt obligated to write it. Every single one of them, I just felt inspired and, uh, you know, had an idea that I then got out my legal pad and started scribbling and then eventually it turned into a book. So my last one is my current favorite. Well, I, I think that's a good answer. It, 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 it's uh, it's it, it, I don't hear that when I when I hear about when he asked that that type of question to, to various people involved in different things. So, yeah, that's a good answer. Well, Jeff, we're going to hit all sorts of subjects today. You know, this is a sports theme show, but we we hit on other stuff on sports untold. But so we're going to we're not just going to talk about sports the rest of this interview. But um, I do want to ask you about a couple of things about Indiana. And I subscribe this Discoverer blog. I recommend it. And you just, it's a great travel tip blog. And there's things on like underrated cities to see or things to avoid in different countries. It's, it's a wonderful blog. And I was just, I, I subscribe to it too, Paul. Isn't it terrific? Yeah. Isn't it yeah, terrific? It, I was it in is. Philadelphia and I got a lot of my itinerary from the Discoverer. But uh, Discoverer recently picked Indianapolis as a very good, underrated, affordable city to see with 200 parks and museums and art shows. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about um, if somebody has a day in Indianapolis, what do you recommend they see? Um, contact me. <laughs> but actually, I know a lot about the Indianapolis City Parks, because when I was in law school, I had a summer job uh, between my second and third year uh, as an intern in the mayor's office. And my job was to visit every single one of the almost 300 city parks and write up uh, an evaluation of the, the tort potential tort liability that the city had. So I visited every single little corner park in the city and it indianapolis really is great for city parks we have um either it's either the first or second depending on who you ask uh, biggest municipal park in the country called eagle creek central park in new york city supposedly might be bigger but it's a huge uh nature preserve hiking trails uh, a lake um a beach sailing um an ornithology uh, exhibit, um, and it, it's a really fantastic park. Um, but we have many others. And then, of course, in May, uh, this is the month of the Indy 500, which uh, I believe is still the largest sporting event in terms of a single day number of people that uh, see it. Uh, it we have up to 500,000 people that come, uh, most of them <laughs> squatting on the infield uh, to watch cars go around an oval track. Um, so, you know, if, if you want to be around a lot of people, May is a great time to visit. But we also have a really um, beautiful downtown, um, which is centered around Monument Circle. Uh, and Indianapolis is big on war memorials. Then we have a mall just north of Monument Circle. And we have... Um, three cultural districts. I live right near one of the cultural districts and we have a, a really well-developed um, bicycle hiking trails, uh, paved trails throughout the city. So I understand the children's museum is very nice, right? It's um, usually rated as the best children's museum in the entire world. It's wow. it's an amazing facility. It's huge. It's it's one of these museums. It's it's too big to see it all in one day. Now back to the sports theme here. Um, I understand the, the the NCAA Hall of Fame is in Indianapolis, right? It is, and it's right on 
this canal, which 20, 30 years ago, <laughs> was I'm not going to call it a cesspool, but it was definitely not an attractive place to be. And in the last uh, few decades, the canal front has turned into this uh, beautiful walkable area. It has multiple museums uh, along it. Um, the NCAA uh, Hall of Fame is one. Uh, there's a, one, a big one called the Idle Jorg, which is a, a Western Native American sort of cowboy Indian, un, you know, politically correct terminology museum. Uh, and then there's the Indiana State Museum, uh, which is just, you know, all about Indiana history, but restaurants, bars, just a, a wonderful place to walk or bicycle. I'll have to check out Minneapolis, Indiana one day, Jeff. Um, the NCAA Hall of Fame, is that worth an hour or two? Tell us a little more about that. Yeah, I, I would say it's, I mean, if you're a sports fan, um, and especially a college sports fan, it's definitely worth at least a couple hours. So uh, it you know goes back in history. Um, it uh, uh, I, I didn't really use it as a source um, for my Monsters of the Midway book, um, which has a lot of the uh, history of college football in it. Um, but like that book, it goes back and it has exhibits of the you know the earliest days of college football and basketball and how the sports sort of developed and, you know, up through the current season. Well, I'm kind of a museum nerd, Jeff. I, I generally like museums. So I, I think there's quite a few in Indianapolis. I just learned more talking to you and I, I appreciate you uh, expanding a little bit on the discover blog that I read the other day. And I wanted to ask you more about it, but it, Indianapolis is picked as a very good, affordable city to visit. Um, I appreciate that. Jeff, you know, I've been following on Facebook now for, for about close to five years since I, met you about five years ago and you've been posting about traveling around some in some small towns in indiana and i like small towns too like i sometimes check out small towns in the pacific northwest which i really enjoy there's towns like port townsend mcconnor washington i really enjoy hitting some of those towns at times uh why don't you tell us a little about what your some of your favorite small towns are in in the state of indiana uh it's that's really hard because there's just um, lots and lots of really cool small towns around Indiana. And my, my wife and I uh, decided, and, and this really sort of started uh, during COVID, that instead of taking big trips and being on airplanes and all that stuff, we would do little driving trips, um, usually just, you know, one day there and back, pick out one or two small towns that we thought would be interesting uh, spend time walking around the little towns, have lunch or dinner there, and sometimes do an overnight. But so we, uh, we've been doing that now for, uh, you know, off and on for a couple of years. And so I, I started uh, uh, probably uh, started last summer, maybe posting uh, photographs and a little write up of the towns that we've been visiting uh, each week. So that's yeah. I appreciate that you've been following that, Paul. It's been it's been a lot of fun to do, especially since I don't have a, a current writing project. But um, well, okay. I'm going to give props to start off with my own hometown, uh, which is Goshen, Indiana, which is a very uh, furthest north central part of Indiana. It's 12 miles below the Michigan line. And the thing that we really, my wife and I really enjoy about uh, the sort of the classical county seat uh, in Indiana is almost all of them have a courthouse square. And many of the courthouses are the most beautiful buildings in the town, which in case of Goshen, which is Elkhart County, it is. Um, and it has this really cool fountain on the lawn, which is Neptune's fountain. It's a, a statue of uh, the Greek Greek and Roman god, uh, Neptune, Poseidon, with uh, his big pitchfork and dolphins and mermaids. And the other thing that, that's wonderful about many of these towns is they were very badly hurt uh, when the, the crash of the auto industry and the steel industry 
happened um, back in the 1980s, uh, because in many of the towns in Indiana uh, have small factories that were suppliers uh, to either the steel or the auto industry. So, for example, my hometown, Goshen, had three what we called rubber factories, and they made uh, the rubber parts that are used in cars. And back then, there was all sorts of little rubber parts <laughs> that went into cars, and they were the, the sort of the staple of the economy of Elkhart County. And most of them either shut, and then there were a number of metal stamping plants too. And, and most of them either shut down or became basically a skeleton of what they were. But like the, the towns that really come back from that period successfully, uh, Goshen had some visionary uh, business leaders and they brought the RV, recreational vehicle in, uh, industry, into Elkhart County and have more than replaced uh, the businesses that were lost uh, in this steel and auto parts related uh, industries. And that's, you know, that's really what we've observed is that the towns that have managed to climb their way out of that really uh, deep, uh, troubling recession that the Rust Belt area here in the Midwest experienced were towns that had visionary leaders and who worked very hard to bring uh, new businesses into the town and recognize that the downtown uh, is something to be proud of and to draw visitors uh, to come see it. So, you know, cute little restaurants on the courthouse square, uh, a bar or two, live music, that kind of thing. And uh, the other thing that's uh, really fun is a lot of these towns, uh, like Goshen, has uh, a First Friday celebration. So the first Friday of every month, they sort of really put on a big show, live music, restaurants have specials and that kind of thing. They might have cla a classic car show, something like that to bring people into the downtown and, um, and celebrate. So that's, you know, that we've, we've visited so many towns, but the ones that are enjoyable all kind of, you know, fit that description. What's bourbon Indiana like? Bourbon Indiana, um, that we haven't uh, made bourbon yet. Uh, so we'll have to put that on our list. And I'm not sure if I've ever been there. Okay. I just saw it uh, before the show starts ranked as a, like a small town, Indiana to see. So I, that really? name caught my attention. Uh, yeah. That's a, yeah. That, that's, that's an attention getting name. Yeah. Right. Right. For sure. For sure. I do have going on a Kentucky bourbon tour on my bucket list at some point, but that, that, that would be, but bourbon Indiana stuck, stuck out today. Well, great. Well, I, I love uh, your analysis of a little bit about your state and, um, you know, I think a lot of people forget in the American Midwest there there are there is there are more waters and forests and stuff. I think people realize in a lot of Midwest states. So there's more. It's not as flat as I think it's perceived by some people. You know, the American Midwest. So yeah, and that's and and, and you you bring up a, a good point. Uh, one of the other elements that seems to uh, determine. Uh, whether a town has succeeded or not is if the is because many of these are on rivers and we you know Indiana had a lot of the the sort of tributaries of the Erie Canal system and so there are canals rivers uh, number of lakes and the towns that have been smart about who how to use their waterfront also you know if you if you just let it like the canal in downtown Indianapolis was a few decades ago, just an unused because it was part of the Erie Canal system. And the the, the uh, business that owned it actually went bankrupt. And eventually the Indianapolis Water Company bought it. And over time, you know, has turned it into this beautiful, enjoyable, uh, walkable area. And small towns uh, have done that as well. What, what a fascinating point. I have a, a first cousin. She uh, Meryl's an urban planning professor, University of California, San Diego. I mean, I, I'm going to ask Meryl about the 
the effects that waters and rivers have on urban planning or, or you know city planning in general. You kind of brought something up that I may ask her about. But well, here's a a little sports question for you. Um, Indianapolis has you know a lot of sports going on: amateur, college, professional, um, minor league professional sports. And of the two of the four major leagues, Indianapolis has the Pacers, the NBA, and the Colts, NFL. Jeff, do you see the potential of the of Major League Baseball or the NHL ever coming to Indianapolis? Um, a number of years ago, in fact, it was back in the uh, 80s, Indianapolis tried very hard uh, to get an MLB, Major League Baseball, team here, and it didn't work out. And there's a, a lot of people that actually don't want that, because we have a triple A team, the Indianapolis Indians, that has a beautiful uh, park field called uh, Victory Field. And it's really, it's a state-of-the-art field. Um, it was built, oh, maybe 10, 12 years ago. Um, and and the team uh, is popular. And uh, so there are some people that really would like to just keep it the way it is. Um, as far as hockey goes, actually, a good friend of mine uh, is a 49% owner uh, in our the hockey team that we have, which I think is you know basically equivalent to the AAA. They're a Black Chicago Blackhawks feeder team, and one of the funny things he says is every time we we get on a winning streak, the Blackhawks will grab our best players, and then right. we go on a losing streak. Um, and they're called the indie fuel. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, it, it, Indianapolis is a sports crazy town. Um, and it used to sort of claim to be the amateur sports capital of the world because we would very often get the NCAA, um, tournament here if not the the final four we would often well every year we'll at least get regional games first round games and so forth and um we had we a couple different times we hosted the pan am games but we have pan am plaza which is a big uh, outdoor skating area and uh, kind of a, a urban park left over from the last time we hosted the pan am games so, um, yeah, I, I doubt that in the foreseeable future we'll get a hockey team, NHL or MLB. But we, have, we also have a, a soccer team uh, called Indy 11 that's, uh, I think, sort of, again, at the equivalent of the AAA level. Um, and, and they've had a, a really good season. Uh, they were undefeated for about two-thirds of this season and and i know they're i think they may be in their tournament right now and i i've lost track of how they're doing but the owner of the of that team is actually a a friend of mine as well and um, he really really wants an mls team and he's got this huge plan to build uh, a first class uh mls level stadium and and he's he's i think he may do that so i would predict if we're going to get uh, another major uh professional sports team it's going to be mls mls is very popular in seattle too right now very popular as are the cracking nhl team but you know just just talking more about the indianapolis sports team jeff you don't have to have all the major teams and still have be a great sports city. That's that's part of what I'm I'm kind of extrapolating from from this conversation. So you still um all right. So um uh, this is a two-part question. Um I want to know the first part A of this question is who do you think is the most prominent sports figure to ever come from the state of Indiana? Uh, here's a couple of names. Larry Bird, John Wooden, Oscar Robertson, Jeff Gordon. I want you to pick the Jeff Raisley take on who, who's the most prominent sports figure to come from your state. And my second question is who do you think is the most prominent pro athlete to have played in Indiana? Hmm. Uh, or I, so the two-part question, I for the second question, I'll give you a clue. Reggie Miller, Peyton Manning, anyhow, but the first question, let's start with with the most prominent sports figure, in your opinion, have come from the state of Indiana. Uh, 
Well, I, I think if we look at it historically, it has to be John Wooden. Um, if we think of it more in who, who sort of, if you took a survey now, uh, who might it be? Um, I think it, it actually, it would probably be Peyton Manning uh, in terms of who's the most popular, well-known figure now uh, in Indianapolis of our sports heroes but you know john wooden i mean he's he still has the record for the most ncaa championships um and he, he was uh you know i think a, a three-time all-american and back when he was playing at purdue you couldn't the freshman uh, didn't get to play varsity so uh he was a great athlete himself but i think you know just in terms of looking at his record I think he should still be considered the greatest college coach of all time. Now I know, you know, a number of coaches have won more games career wise, but nobody, you know, comes close in terms of championships. So you would pick Wooden over Larry Bird as the most prominent sports figure to come out of the state of Indiana. Yes. Wow. Wow. Okay. And the most prominent pro athlete to play for Indiana for an Indiana pro franchise, you would say is probably Peyton Manning. Yeah, just in and part of it is uh, I would say popularity. I mean, Larry Bird is very popular here, and you know the, that he came back and became a coach for the Pacers and is part owner and all that. Uh, you know, Larry Bird is beloved here, so don't get me wrong. But um, in terms of basketball, we have so many great players. I mean, Oscar Robertson, I think, is a better basketball player than Larry Bird. Wow. Uh, I mean, you know, the the record for most triple doubles. I mean, to to have the record of triple doubles that he has. I mean, you know, Larry Bird is a great shooter, uh, great passer, uh, you know, not that great a rebounder, but still uh, undoubtedly a great player. Um, but I just, I think all around, plus the fact I got to have dinner with Oscar Robertson once and I've never had dinner with Larry Bird. Wow. That's what a, what a fascinating guy to meet. Um, and this is just so much fun because I'm getting a whole new perspective. I've never heard anyone make an argument that Oscar Robertson was a better player than Larry Bird. It's just, this is one thing about interviewing. I enjoy so much is getting, getting some different perspectives. Okay. Well, fun, fun. And Reggie Miller, you got to put up there as a prominent uh, pro player from Indiana or played Indiana as well. Jeff, sure. you know, you played uh, college football at University of Chicago. We talked about that more in Sports Untold 34. So I can I can encourage my listeners to listen to Jeff's first interview with me uh, back in 2018. Um, do you have any general thoughts, Jeff, and the perspective as a uh, retired attorney and former college athlete and all this debates about college pay and name image likeness? Just any general thoughts on, on those issues? Yeah, I think college athletes uh, particularly at the division one level uh, have been an exploited class of workers um, you know I, so I played division three uh, football and swimming and uh, was on the rugby club and we division three you're doing it for fun um, and you, and you still spend a lot of time at it, or at least you should. I spent less time at it than I should have. Um, but uh, at Division One, it's a job. I mean, if you look at the number of hours, and not just during the season, but year-round, these athletes put in, uh, and they're making money for the school, at least if you're playing basketball or football. Um, and to have you know i mean there were such crazy things uh historically for like steve alford a uh, great iu basketball player got suspended because he allowed his image to be used for a poster to raise money by a sorority for a charity i mean this sort of thing was just crazy when i was in high school a high school player from fort wayne uh, got suspended for a year because he accepted six golf balls uh, in a in a golfing uh, tournament during the summer. He was a basketball player, not on the, even on the golf team. I mean, this is just ridiculous. It's, it's the 
same, the whole Olympic, you know, the historical Olympic athletes uh, who had to, you know, meet these, this amateur status that Avery Brundage, um, who's one of my most despised figures in sports history, um, because of, you know, just that we want these athletes to perform up to the, the standards of excellence and they thrill us and we love them. And then we make them poverty cases. I mean, that historically, that's what we did. Or we make them cheaters, which happens so often. Um, so I'm delighted that athletes now uh, can make money. Uh, I do understand how it's skewing uh, even more perhaps than it has in the past recruiting uh, where uh, one university uh, can will help and really work at uh, helping its athletes make money through NILs and that sort of thing. Whereas another university might be, you know, sort of stick with a more traditional standards of you're a, you're a scholar, a student first and an athlete second. And that university may have much more trouble recruiting top-notch athletes. But those are choices the universities make. I personally, I think the best answer would be that every um Division one uh, athletic program could pay athletes a stipend and make it a living wage so that um, they really they could devote themselves to their sport and not worry about whether they have enough money uh, to buy food or clothes or books for the next semester. And I think that's a, a decent return uh, that schools get. And I would I'd allow division two and division three schools to do that as well if they wanted to um but yeah i i think it's great that athletes and i also think it's a really uh educational process for athletes to try to figure out how do i make money this way i mean it's capitalism it's using your capital your talent your image uh to learn how to start a business and make money so hooray Jeff, one thing that's come up with a couple of guests on my show over the last several years um, is the idea of having workers' compensation laws protect athletes. Could you go along with that, making sure that injured athletes have some more protections? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think of a guy on my team. He was going to be probably our best lineman, first-year student, first game of the season, kickoff he blows his knee out uh this is back before we had arthroscopic surgery you blew your knee out you were going to be limping the rest of your life which he has um and uh he had to become a manager because of the team because he couldn't play any longer and what did he get from for that i think you know the university took care of his medical care but yeah, I mean, why shouldn't he have gotten workers' comp? Some something to compensate him for that injury that he suffered representing the school. And again, I think particularly Division One. I, I mean, Thatch, my my old friend, that that happened to. He wasn't making any money for the school because it was Division Three. But uh, if he'd been a Division One player, you know that they're making money off them so why shouldn't workers comp cover a lot of equities there jeff speaking of university of chicago i i know at one time it had a major football program and, and it's a very prominent uh school i know people who've attended university of chicago besides you it, can, there, can you see any taste in alumni circles there or at the university to make to to make it a big time sports program again could you see that happening in the future university of chicago I, I don't see it ever becoming a Division I uh, school again. Uh, I mean, the history, especially the history of University of Chicago football is fascinating, which is why I wrote a book about it. Um, but, you know, it, it was the uh, dominant, it was the Alabama of uh, early uh, college football. Um, you know, se seven uh, Big Ten titles, uh, three national championships, uh, couple 
uh, undefeated seasons. Amos Alonzo Stagg, uh, most winning college football coach until Bear Bryant, uh, you know, surpassed him. But uh, in 1939, uh, the school terminated varsity football. So we didn't even have a football team, let alone Division One, until it restarted in 1969. So but when uh, football first started, and, and I played in the mid-70s, so not long after it restarted, it was a real struggle. Uh, I mean, the university devoted very little money uh, to the program. Uh, we, <laughs> we rode on a bus once to an away game that had a hole in the floor, so we were all wheezing from carbon monoxide poisoning <laughs> by the time we got to the game. Our practice uniforms had well our some of our <laughs> game uniforms had uh, not holes but had been sewn up uh my practice uniform uh jersey was 33 but my number was 82 because we didn't have a practice 82 <laughs> so you know uh but it, it was a lot of fun and um the the university over time has become very proud of it, the the legacy that it's developed uh, in Division Three sports. The when I was on the team, we would have you know maybe an entire roster of about 30, 35 players, and sometimes at practice we didn't have twenty-two players that would turn out to have a full scrimmage. Now they'll have one hundred and five players on the team. Uh, I've got to uh, be honored as one of the. Uh, uh, members of uh, the early teams when they had the 50th anniversary um, of uh, 69 of, uh, you know, football restarting, which was a very delightful experience. And I just this year was uh, named to the Hall of Fame committee. So we choose the next round of uh, University of Chicago athletes who will be honored by the Hall of Fame, which is a really fun thing. Um, but it's, it's, uh, you know, it's become a very good division three school. Um, they've had multiple national championships in tennis, um, swimming, uh, not football yet. Uh, they've made it to the final four, uh, division three, uh, basketball women's. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's a good division three program and I, I think that's what it should be because there's um, less than 5,000 college students. Uh, there's uh, something like 15,000 graduate students, but uh, only 5,000 college. So it's, it's still a small liberal arts college, even though, uh, you know, it has a, a great academic rep reputation. And I like another thing to add to all the things you're involved with, Jeff. Uh, you're on the Hall of Fame committee, University of Chicago, too. So another thing to add to your long resume of things that you're involved in. So, um, Jeff, uh, this is Paul Schneiderman on the Sports Untold podcast with Jeff Raisley, having some fun. And uh, you got got about maybe, I don't know, 10, 15 more minutes or so. Got a little more time. Sure. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, Jeff, I want to. Here's our two questions I've asked about every guest, give or take, since about late 2019, and. You, you mentioned that you did meet Oscar Robertson. Um, my The first question here is, who is a deceased sports figure in history you would have loved to spend some time with, shadow with, interviewed? And who is a living sports figure you would enjoy spending some time with? Well, probably my favorite athlete of all time was Muhammad Ali. And I Dislike when I was a, a little kid, I disliked him at first because he was sort of everything you weren't supposed to be, you know, loud mouth, disobeying rules, <laughs> and all that. When uh, and he was Cassius Clay, um, but over time, as I matured and watched his career, and and uh, really, you know, thought it was terrible when he missed, you know, three years of uh, the prime of his career boxing. Um, and, uh, I just, I just think he just became this delightful personality. Um, and, you know, as he aged, uh, and, and it was so sad to, you know, see what he went through. Um, 
and because of so many blows he took to his head probably but he you know he became this just this very loving kind of uh warm almost uh, a guru type uh personality uh you know he went from the baddest ass on the planet uh to that and which is just such a, a wonderful journey uh and i think as you know the older i've gotten um the more i, I appreciate someone who as they age um they find ways to impart wisdom and love and and that's what he did and he he gave millions and millions of dollars away uh when i researched him for the uh quote that i use in my 72 wisdom um he is estimated to have given uh over 50 million dollars away and wow. uh, you know far more than he made as a boxer but so he's he's my my favorite um deceased sports hero um as far as living uh gosh you can I, be a manager commissioner broadcaster it's a broad question it's a sports figure so yeah um okay i'm i'm really torn between peyton manning and reggie miller because uh, you know i mean they're indianapolis uh so loyalty to the the hometown um and you know both of them to some extent are on that track that i just described for muhammad ali um reggie miller you know the mouth i mean he he was <laughs> for being such a skinny guy probably one of the worst trash talkers in the nba um and and was very good at it getting into the head of his opponents um and you know has has become a really good broadcaster. I mean, he's articulate, he's intelligent, he's got a sense of humor. Um, but then Peyton, uh, he has done so much for this city. Uh, I mean, we have the Peyton Manning Children's Hospital. Oh, good. He, he endowed a, a hospital, um, so he's a you know wonderful philanthropist. Plus, <laughs> when he first came to Indy. And so, you know, he's going to save our franchise because, you know, we stole the Baltimore Colts. And uh, some of us are wondering whether it was worth it because they were losing uh, uh, every year. But it's OK. We, we've got the number one draft choice. He's going to be great. His first season, I think they won one game. And then the next season, they turned it around. It was almost like a perfect flip. But when Peyton as uh, a young guy doing commercials, he was so wooden. I mean, he was like a cardboard character. He was terrible. And now he's just blossomed into this funny, wonderful, you know, on-air personality. Um, and it's been a lot of fun just seeing uh, his maturity and his growth and the, his devotion to Indianapolis, which... I think in a way didn't treat him as well as we should have by letting him go to Denver and got another Super Bowl for another city, darn it. Um, but uh, yeah, so that it's just, I, I like, you know, the development of both of those two guys uh, and they were great athletes and Reggie didn't bring a title to Indy but uh, came the closest that we've had since the Pacers have been in the NBA. I'll never forget uh, Reggie Miller and Spike Lee getting into it when they're, you know, during one of those New York, Indiana games that they did, they were yelling at each other, but uh, great names. And a lot of my guests have mentioned Muhammad Ali as a deceased sports figure. They would have loved to spend time with a couple of my guests, you know, knew or spent time with Muhammad Ali, but his name has come up. No one had mentioned uh, Reggie Miller or Peyton Manning yet for that second question. Um, Another uh, sports figure with Indiana roots of, that I would have loved to spend time with is John Wooden. So, oh yeah. So um, you got to that. That's uh, I was just thinking of Wooden with that Indiana connection. But great answers to that uh, those questions. Um, if you had to pick between Reggie Miller and Peyton, who would it be? To have dinner with? Yeah, if you had to pick one or the other. Uh, Put you on the spot, Jeff. Wow, that is such a tough one. Um, 
I would uh, okay. I'll go with Peyton because he won a championship for okay. us. Okay, okay, fair, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Reggie, <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't quite make it for us. Almost, almost. Yeah, almost. But um, Jeff, I recall you and I chatted uh, off the air once or twice. I believe that you know Mike Pence, the former vice president <laughs> of the United States and former governor of Indiana, and uh, you you take this question to how how you want to go here with Pence. I I. I want to know this. Did, did it surprise you at all that Mike Pence refused to go along with Trump's demands um, that he not certify the 2020 election? Were you surprised at all that Pence stood up to Trump on that? Um, it's hard to remember, you know, at the time, my reaction to it. Um, in retrospect, no, uh, I'm not. Um, and the way I knew Mike Pence originally is I was a young associate in a law firm, um, fairly prominent firm here in Indy, uh, and Mike was a summer intern for us. Uh, and <laughs> we had, I think it was six interns that summer. And at the end of the summer, we made offers to four of them. Mike was one of the two we did not make an offer to. Uh, and I was on the recruiting committee, so I was in on the discussion of uh, why or why not. And the the feeling of most of the committee members is Mike Pence wasn't sharp enough uh, to be uh, a, an associate in our firm. The sense was that he's a really nice guy. Uh, we all liked him, um, but uh, we just he just didn't seem like he was going to be that. He, he wasn't that bright. He wouldn't be a good enough attorney. <laughs> and so then he's a heartbeat away from, you know, the leader of the free world. Um, but I think Mike has a, uh, a center of principles. Uh, I, in my own view is he, his center is somewhat skewed with his evangelical Christianity um, but I think it's authentic. And uh, so when, you know, when he was asked to do something that was illegal, unconstitutional, that would have violated um, one of his core principles. So, yeah. Um, I mean, plus the fact was, as it turned out, you know, Trump's army uh, is threatening to hang him and threatening his family. So, uh, I, you know, I don't know to what extent he sensed that that sort of thing would develop. Um, and I think he had real reason to be afraid of, uh, you know, getting on Trump's bad side uh, not necessarily that he would have anticipated actual physical violence or that people wanted to kill him, but certainly that it could damage his his own political ambitions. Um, and uh, it, you know, I think it has. Uh, I mean, you know, histories uh, can go in surprising directions, but, you know, you think generally if you're a vice president, you've got a shot as a, a future president. And I don't see any way that Mike Pence would get the Republican nomination. Um, and I think if he had stayed loyal to Trump and then waited until Trump is not running, he would have a real shot at the a Republican nomination. But I, I think there's no way now that was my next question. If you thought he had any what his political future is, Jeff, it's hard to get in somebody's mind. It's hard to be a mind reader, but I'm still going to ask the question to you because um, you spent some time with Mike Pence. Do you think there's any side of Mike Pence where he wonders in the aftermath of everything, all the craziness that happened after the 2020 election? And as you pointed out, other threats on him and his family. Do you think there's a side of him if he wonders whether serving as Donald Trump's vice president for a term was worth it? Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I would imagine that all things considered, he's glad that he did. Uh, I mean, what an experience. I mean, if you, you just think about it in terms of, uh, you know, life experience, what, I mean, what, what an honor to be at that level to serve your country. Um, but also just how interesting. My, uh, my older brother 
was uh, a top aide to Dan Quayle when he was vice president. And my, my brother went all over the world uh, as an advance man for Quayle and, you know, meeting world leaders, meeting, uh, you know, top people in every category of life, uh, as well as, you know, having influence on really important decisions. So I, I doubt if he regrets it. I'm, I think he, I'm sure that he regrets how it ended, not only losing the election, but also the, you know, the rampage uh, insurrection and him, his life being threatened. All the, all the, vit all the vitriol. Uh, yeah. We'll move on from this subject in a moment, but, but we mentioned Dan Quayle and uh, by all accounts I've, we've read that Dan Quayle apparently played a role in persuading Mike Pence not to go along with Trump's, Trump's January 6th plan. So there's an interesting um, aspect to the, the Quayle connection there. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have any insider insight on that. I, all I know is what I've read in the media, but right. but that is interesting. And I also uh, props to Dan Quayle, because from what I've read, Mike Pence was looking for a way to support Trump, but he, he needed to feel like I have a true legal basis, a constitutional basis that I can do what Trump is asking me to and he couldn't find one. And right. all of the, the reasonable voices and the voices he trusted told him, no, you, you can't do that. So Dan Quayle could go down in history as um, helping to prevent having more trouble happen on January 6th. Anyhow, um, I, I think I'll probably ask you two more questions, Jeff. Uh, favorite sports movie is one of them. Oh, um, I, I have uh, two Hoosiers and Breaking Away. You got to mention Hoosiers as an Indiana, of course. Absolutely, I saw it. I think I saw that one coming. Well, Jeff, you, you've been involved in you know, tracks the Himalayas. You just, as I mentioned uh, throughout this interview, you've, been, you've had your foot in so many things. What what is in the future for Jeff Raisley? Why don't you just share with us what what you have cooking? Well, I'm the president of two different foundations, and and they're really they're both really interesting. One, the Scientech Foundation of Indiana, focuses. Um, on giving grants to educational programs, uh, primarily in the STEM area. Um, and so we uh, find schools and, um, and, and extracurricular activities like robotics, where uh, the, the program or the school needs funding to put on whatever this educational uh, program that they do. Um, and so we give grants to fund those and we give out a uh, $150,000 to $200,000 a year, right. uh, mostly in central Indiana. And then the other one is the Bassa Village Foundation. And so it's <laughs> on the other side of the world uh, and uh, it's uh, funding basic infrastructure projects, uh, school building, medical clinic, uh, hydroelectric system, water system, basic infrastructure uh, in this very remote area of Nepal called Basa. So, you know, two very different um, foundations or philanthropic enterprises, but I, uh, I find both of them really interesting. And so I'm spending a lot of time doing that. I don't have a current writing project. Um, 72 Wisdoms may be my last one. Uh, who knows, but I am playing pickleball uh, at least three times a week. So that that is my maybe my final athletic outlet. I don't know. Maybe shuffleboard comes after and you that. have a book that has a pickleball theme to it, too. That's true. My second to last book is uh, a romantic murder mystery thriller uh, based on a pickleball group. Uh, and you mean, I think, as you probably know, pickleball was invented in Washington State as well. So I, I do. There's, there's a I story do. I recite the history of pickleball in the in the book. And have to read it. There's actually two different, two competing origin stories about the origin of pickleball. Have to read your that. Have to read that book as well. I, I before we conclude, I do have a retro question for you. I'm a curious guy. Is there any side of you that wishes you extended a job offer to Mike Pence at your old law firm? 
yes, in this sense. Uh, Pence sealed the evangelical vote for Trump. If Trump didn't have him as vice president, now who knows who would have been his vice president. If he didn't have Pence as vice president, he might not have gotten the evangelical vote. And if he didn't have the evangelical vote, he might not have won. If Trump had not won the 2016 election, I think our country would be much better off than what it is. So for that reason, yes, I wish we would have given him the job and he wouldn't have become vice president. If he worked at your firm, he could have maybe got a different career track. Is that kind of where you're going? Yes, exactly. Okay. okay. Fascinating. Fascinating. Well, Jeff, I really enjoyed you doing this, uh, coming back in the 126th edition of the Sports Untold podcast. Uh, I always have a lot of fun chatting with you. That's you and I definitely stay in touch and hope to meet you in person one day as well. So That would be great. Come visit the city that you've read about and heard about. We'd love to have you visit, Paul. Likewise, you're ever the Northwest as well. I um, be happy to take you and your wife out sometime as well. So enjoy this very much. Thanks. Thanks. I think we're going to conclude now, Olivia. Thank you.